You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Earlier this summer, I had an opportunity to get my family away. We do this every year. We go to the mountains of Colorado to kick off the summer to a family camp. And uh, I've been doing camp my whole life, man. I grew up in the church, trusted Jesus as a preteen kid at 11 years of age. I think I've missed one camp in like the last 30 years, okay? I do summer camp, and uh, my kids love it. Uh, If you ask them, what would you want to do? Would you do family camp or Disney? They choose family camp because we go every year with some friends of ours, and they get to do the horseback riding, and uh, we do the ropes courses, the canoeing, whitewater rafting, all those fun types of things. And when we make a big trip like this, we drive it from Houston all the way up into the mountains of Colorado, so we have to break it up a couple days. We bring games with us to play, and uh, we bring the card games and the puzzles, and uh, uh, we bring board games. You know, anything that can cause the most amount of fights in a family that you could possibly do, that's what we do with us. But one of the games that uh, we don't take with us typically on these road trips, just because they're so big and and, and it's too much to pack, but we love playing it uh, on vacation and stuff like that, is the game Clue. Anybody with me, all right? Uh, Just call me Colonel Mustard. The girls know they can't have that character. That's who I am every single time. And uh, I love Clue. And I love, especially love, beating my girls with no mercy in that game and gloating over them in victory. All right. Uh, I want to teach them the real world. And so I... uh, Show them how it's done. Now, if you're, if, you're, if you're here and you play Clue, let me give you some pro tips, all right, just to help. Uh, you know, you've got to be very aggressive in Clue. You've got to take good notes. You've got to ask the right questions. Uh, you've got to make sure that you take some risk every now and then. And what I love about this game is not just the mystery behind it, but the game is not over, all right, until the murderer is found, uh, the weapon that that murderer uh, uh, was committed with, and the room in which it took place. Uh, It's not over. Game doesn't get boxed up until what is being pursued has been chased down. Now, it's this kind of bold, aggressive, never giving up pursuit that we read about and discover in Luke chapter 15. And we find in this parable uh, three, uh, three parables and we find one big truth. Okay, and here's the big truth. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's, it's this, the always God always pursues the lost. Now, I call it the always God uh, because full disclosure, this is a chapter, what I'm preaching today is a chapter uh, in a book that I wrote called The Always God. Now, this is not a uh, promotion for the book. Unless you have trouble sleeping, get the book. It'll knock you right out, all right? Uh, but uh, I talk about how God is, in the first part of the book, how he is always here. Uh, that we have a very present God. Uh, he, he's always listening to us in prayer. He's always present with us. Uh, the second part of the book is how God is always working. And this is one of the ways that God is always working. He's always pursuing the lost. And then the third part is how he is, uh, can always be trusted. And so the subtitle says it all. The always God, uh, he hasn't changed and you are not forgotten. I wrote it during COVID because so many people felt like that. God, have you forgotten me? They were losing jobs. They were losing loved ones, a lot of confusion and fear. And so the always God, he hasn't changed and you're not forgotten. And this chapter is called uh, the always God, he always pursues. And that's what Luke chapter 15 is all about. Jesus, the reason he came to earth, the reason he wrapped himself in flesh and lived among us was to seek out, to search for those 
who are lost and in need of him. And right here in Luke chapter 15, uh, we have three of the most well-known parables in Scripture, and they vividly illustrate for us this truth that Jesus is always pursuing the lost. Now, before we get into our text, I want to just kind of describe what I mean when I say this word lost, because we'll see this term used repetitively in Luke chapter 15. In fact, it's used twice in the first parable, verses four and verses six, dealing with a lost sheep. It's used twice in the second parable, dealing with the lost coin, verse eight and 10. And then once it's used in the third parable, dealing with a lost son in verse 24. Now, we all know what it is to lose something, right? When I was studying for this uh, chapter that I was writing, getting ready for this sermon, I found an uh, article on PR and Newswire that said the average, in, uh, uh, the average American spends two and a half days each year looking for lost items. All right, anybody there? Uh, collectively, are you ready for this? The U.S. spends $2.7 billion a year in replacement costs. I mean, we all know what that's like, right? Looking for that one sock, uh, looking for uh, that extension for our phone. Uh, thank the Lord we have Find My iPhone app so we can ping it when we've lost our phone. We all know what it is uh, to lose something. If you are a grandparent or a young parent of a toddler, you've always got what? Like seven pacifiers on you, right? Because those things have legs. They get up and walk away and it's your survivor. And so you got to have that. So we know what it is to lose something or to be lost. Well, Jesus takes this word lost and he uses it and to describe those who are far away from God, who do not have a personal relationship with God. And yet in the original language of the Bible, the term lost, it has a much stronger connotation to it than what we describe uh, and use and define the word lost today. It's actually a word uh, that means the state of being ruined. It's used 92 times in the New Testament. It carries this idea of something being utterly destroyed, totally decimated, experiencing a miserable end. That's what the word lost means. Jesus used this word in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's the word lost should not be wasting away, should not be utterly decimated, experiencing a miserable end, but instead have eternal life. I say all of this to say we don't need to get away from using the word lost to describing those who are far away from God. I get wanting to be sensitive to those that we're trying to win over, to those that we're trying to share Jesus with. We don't want to use a term that is offensive in any way, but the word lost is a Bible word. And over and over again in the scripture, talking about someone who does not know God, not in a personal relationship with the Lord, there's a stronger term than just the word lost. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says those who are outside of a relationship with God are hostile to God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, they are separated from him having no hope. Colossians 1.13, those who are lost, those who are far away from God are living in a domain of darkness. So here's what I want you to understand what we're communicating this morning is that we're talking about this always God who always pursues. These are the kind of people that he pursues. Those who are far away, those who are experiencing a miserable end. Wasting their lives away. Those who are in a state of being ruined, decimated by the enemy. These are the lost and this is who God pursues. And Jesus is teaching this truth. Get the context of Luke chapter 15. To a bunch of religious leaders that were gathered around him that day. And he is blowing their mind. 
as it relates to what they believed about God. Look at verse 1 of Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Isn't that interesting? Those who are far away from God were drawing near to hear him. They seemed to be comfortable with Jesus. Seems that when you see Jesus with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and gluttons, they, they, you get the sense that, that he didn't pass judgment on them, look down on them. He spoke to them with love and care and concern in a way that they could understand. It's just, a, it's just a practical question. We'll come back to this a little bit at the end of the message today, but I'll just ask it right here. I wonder if those who are lost, I wonder if sinners feel as comfortable around me and you as they did around Jesus. It's just a, just a question to consider, just something to think about. Look at verse two and three. And the Pharisees and the scribes, here's the religious leaders, they start grumbling. And they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them, the religious leaders, this parable. Now, never in a million years did the religious leaders view God as a God that pursued those who were lost, as a God who sought after those who were not seeking him. William Barclay, who was a, was a liberal theologian, but he wrote great history as it relates to the context of the Bible. Listen to what he said about this. No Pharisee had ever dreamed of a God like that. A great Jewish scholar has admitted that this is the one absolutely new thing which Jesus taught about God, that he actually searched for us. A Jew might have agreed that those who came crawling home to God in self-abasement and prayed for pity might find it, but he would never have conceived of a God who went out to search for sinners. And yet it's this truth that God pursues the lost that he searches for sinners in need of him that Jesus so beautifully illustrates in these parables and he drives this one big truth home uh, that he pursues the lost. In the first parable, it's the lost sheep. Look at verses four through seven. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here you have this one little lost sheep in danger. He's wasting away. He's on his way to perishing. And we do know who this sheep represents, right? I mean, that's me and you. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And then you have this shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go after one. And he searches until he finds it. And we know who this shepherd represents, right? This is Jesus, John 10. He refers to himself as the good shepherd. And this good shepherd leaves the 99 in the open country to go and search for that one. And when he finds it, there's celebration and rejoicing. The second parable is the parable of the lost coin. Look at verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so you have this coin, which was of great value to this woman. It represented about a day's worth of wages. 
And she puts everything on hold until this one coin that was lost is found. She lights the lamp, she sweeps the house. The Bible says she seeks diligently for it. Nothing else gets on her agenda until what was lost is found. And once she has tracked it down, once she has found it, once the pursuit is over, what follows? Celebration and rejoicing. And then you get to the third parable. Now, for sake of time, we don't have uh, time to read the whole parable, but you're probably most familiar with this parable, the parable of the lost son. A son comes to his father and essentially says, Dad, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance. That's essentially the message that was communicated in that day when the younger son asked his dad for his inheritance. And it breaks his dad's heart, but the Bible tells us his dad honors his son's request. And he gives his share of the inheritance to his son. And this young son goes out into the far country, the Bible says, and he squanders his inheritance on reckless living. And he's absolutely miserable. So miserable that he he starts feeding pigs. Now, nobody could tell a story like Jesus, right? Here's a Jewish boy at the end of himself. Can you imagine a Jewish boy feeding pigs? And the Bible says, look at verse 16. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Just just incidentally here, let me just throw this in. Uh, That's what sin leads to. Sin is fun for a season, the Bible says, but it leads to absolute misery, okay? Uh, You may be having fun now, doing your own thing, going your own way, but at the end of the day, uh, you're going to see it will leave you totally empty, And that's exactly what's happened to this boy. Verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'm lost here with hunger. I'm wasting away, utterly decimated. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It just gives you this idea that the dad was looking for his son, probably looking for him every single day. And when he was, saw him from far off, look at what the daddy does. He felt compassion and he ran. And embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. What a picture, what an image of a father running to this lost son who is finally found and hugging him and putting his arms around him. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from England, when he called the preach, Prince of Preachers in the mid to late 1800s. I was just over in uh, London a couple of weeks ago and I went by his church there, the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle. I went by his gravesite because I'm boring and that, that, you know, that's what I do for fun is go by old preachers' gravesites. And so uh, I, I was given honor to Spurgeon's gravesite. You know, he, he had one of the first mega churches uh, that ever existed. He had 5,000 in attendance in London back in the day that would sit there and listen to him preach every week in a thousand standing room. Uh, it was said that the London Times would print, I mean, this is fact, they would print his sermons and they would put it 
in the London Times every week for the people to read. I'm still waiting for the Houston Chronicle to call me and print my sermons. Uh, Hadn't gotten the phone call yet, all right? Spurgeon, he preached on Luke chapter 15, and there's this beautiful sermon that he entitled, Many Kisses for Returning Sinners. And listen to what he says here. I love this. He says, see the contrast? There's the son scarcely daring to think of embracing his father, and yet his father has scarcely seen him before he's fallen on his neck. The condescension of God towards penitent sinners is very great. He seems to stoop from his throne of glory to fall upon the neck of a repentant sinner. God on the neck of a sinner. What a wonderful picture. It is a wonderful picture. God running after Pursuing the lost, and when he has found him, falling on his neck, embracing him. And here's what, Southbridge, I don't want you to miss. That the God that is pictured in Luke chapter 15, of pursuing a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, is the same God pursuing those who are lost today. The always God always pursues the lost. But if you read Luke chapter 15 carefully, if you were listening with spiritual ears, you can't help but dive down a little bit deeper into this truth and discover that the always God pursues the one that is lost. Did you notice that? It's what I call the value of one. Twice. Verse 4 and verse 7 in the first parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents, the 99 who need no repentance. The lost coin. Verse 8, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin? Um, Look down at verse 10. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one. One sinner who repents. Father had two sons, but it was the one that was living in the far country that grieved him and that he ran towards the infinite value of one. You see the value in a shepherd leaving 99 to go after one. You see the value in the celebration that ensues when a woman searches her house to find that one lost coin. You see the value of one when the father doesn't give his son a lecture when he returns, but instead puts on his best robe, gives him a ring, and throws a party. You can't read these parables without seeing the infinite value of one. And it's a clear teaching from Jesus here that those who are lost, those who are perishing, those who are wasting away, anybody that is outside of a relationship with him, they are of great value to them. Every one of them. This is why Jesus left the confines of heaven. This is the gospel. He came on a search and rescue mission. For his lost sheep, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the ultimate way that he shows us that he's pursuing us is by sending Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, that's what this series is all about. He says, I am now sending you. As the Father sent me, 
This is the gospel that he, Romans 5, he demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, far away, lost, Jesus died for us. If you were the only person that was lost and wavered, Jesus would have came and shed his blood for you. Don't buy in to this idea that you don't matter. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy that your life isn't worth anything. I'm telling you this parable, these three parables, say totally different. You are so much value. And God brought you here today, maybe, just so you could hear these words, not from my lips, but from the word of God, that he loves you and he is pursuing you. And if you're here today and you're outside of a relationship with the Lord, you don't know Jesus in a personal way and you are far from him, you are perishing, you are wasting away, I'm telling you, God came for you. And he's running after you. And he's pursuing you. And listen to me, he's been referred to as the hound of heaven. He will get what he's after. Uh, that, that little phrase, hound of heaven, it was made famous by a man by the name of Francis Thompson. 1859, he grew up wanting to become a writer. His father wanted him to go into the medical field in England. He tried med school. It didn't work out. He moved to the big city of London, became a writer. And... Um, he got ill, and when the doctors described, uh, prescribed him opium, he became addicted to it, so addicted to it that he was strung out, became homeless, living a life of poverty. His biographer said that he lived under, the Thames, uh, under a bridge by the Thames River, and he would sell little box matches in order to just stay alive, in order to just eat a little bit. And it was in one of his strung out states where he was totally hopeless, totally helpless. He thought about committing suicide and he, he remembered his mother's faith specifically. And he remembered this whole idea of God loving him. And he went back to his faith and God restored his life and he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. It's written in Old English. It's, it's hard to understand, but his commentator, John O'Connor, speaking of the hound of heaven, he, he summarized what that meant. And listen to what he said. He said, the meaning is understood as the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing near in the chase with unhurrying and un imperturbed pace. There's no anxiety here. The hound knows he's going to get the hare. So too does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God, it seeks to hide itself. Divine grace follows after, unwearingly follows after, till the soul feel, feels its pressure, forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. In other words, God, the hound of heaven, will chase you down and continue to pursue you with an everlasting love. And to continue running from him is to simply continue hurting yourself. And so if you're lost here today, outside of a relationship with God, run no more. God loves you. And you know what happens after you turn to God? After you're found by him, you know what happens? Same thing that happened in all three of these parables. Celebration. 
rejoicing, a party. It's like me and Clue. When I beat the girls, I push back from the table, and I just gloat. And I just wonder, I just wonder if God doesn't do that very same thing whenever he finds someone that he's been pursuing. Does he not just look at the empty cross, the empty grave, and gloat over the enemy? The lost has been found. You know, I mentioned earlier how horrible it is when you lose something or to be lost. I remember when I first moved to Dallas, this was before phones, before directions. I, Dallas has this big loop that goes around the whole city. And I got off on one loop, and I, I did not know how to get off that loop. And for like two hours, I'm just driving in a circle. I didn't know where to go. It was horrible. I didn't know who to call. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anybody. It was absolutely miserable. But you know what's worse than being lost? Being lost and not having anyone looking for you. Sent. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. We're talking about the infinite value of one. There's got to be somebody, when I was talking about one, there's got to be somebody in your life, a family member, close friend, a neighbor, associate at work, a classmate at school. There's got to be one in your circle of influence that is lost. They're perishing. They're outside a relationship with God, and God wants to use you to pursue them. The infinite value of one in my book, I try to tell a story that illustrates the principle that I'm talking about. And in this chapter of the book, I talk about my brother. My older brother, Eric, uh, when he graduated high school, did what many young men and women do when they graduate high school. He went to the state school and left his faith. Joined a fraternity there, became president of that fraternity, and he was majoring in partying at that state school. Totally left his faith. I, on the other hand, graduated. I went to preaching school. And, well, thank you very much. And I hope, I hope it's paid off. And uh, I went to preaching school, and our lives went totally separate ways. But we were a close family, so we would get together uh, for Christmas breaks and for summer vacations. And anytime I would get with my brother, I, I would try to talk to him about his relationship with the Lord. And anytime I ever tried to start, my brother would just say, Jarrett, save it. Save it. Didn't want anything to do with it. Um, fast forward a decade, he moves to New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, where he's a great city for him because he still thought he was president of the Pike House. And uh, in New Orleans, um, married, two kids. I moved to Dallas. I'm serving in a church up there. And our grandfather passes away. We were extremely close to my grandfather and went to his funeral 2014. We found ourselves outside my grandparents' house, and my brother's about to go back to New Orleans, and I'm about to go back to Dallas. And my brother looks at me. I've been praying for my brother for 17 years at this point. My brother looks at me and says, Jarrett, 
I really think it's time that I get back in church. And I said, well, Eric, look, man, I don't know much about anything, but I know about church. And I said, if you'll do me a favor, I said, we help plant a church in New Orleans. The pastor of mine is a good friend. You know his name, Rob Wilton. I said, go to that church. Just give it two times. If you'll give it two times, I'll never talk to you about this again. Eric got in his car Saturday afternoon, drove back to New Orleans. I got in my car the next morning. Sunday morning was driving back to Dallas. I was in Longview, Texas, which is about two hours from Dallas when I pulled up my social media. I pulled over to the side of the road to check my social media. And... Uh, <laughs> When I pulled up my social media, uh, I follow Vintage Church. This picture was on my social media. It said Vintage Church, packed house, people started sitting outside, pumped to see so many worship Jesus. This is what I love about Southbridge. This church plant, people come by faith, and 16 years I think you've been in existence. God's just been blessing, and it's just beautiful to see. Well, this church was just starting out, and uh, that top picture almost drove off the road. Uh, that top picture sitting in the back is my brother with his two boys. And here he is in New Orleans. It's the dead heat. I mean, it's hot. He, he hadn't been in church in so long. He, he doesn't know that you're not supposed to wear a jacket. This is one of those cool, trendy churches. He had, he had no clothes. He's in a jacket, burning up. And he's got his two boys. He called, I, I began to pray immediately. This is the first time he'd been in church in years. And I began to pray immediately. He calls me a couple nights later, and uh, he proceeds to tell me that his life is turned upside down. His wife's getting ready to leave him. Um, he's miserable. And I just sense the Spirit of God say, Jared, if you've never preached the gospel to him before, preach it to him now. In as loving way as I could, I just told him. I said, Eric, look, God is pursuing you, and you have a choice. You're either going to bow your knee and trust him with your life and follow him and do life God's way. Or you're going to bow your neck and you're going to get mad and you're going to get arrogant and you're going to get prideful and you're going to say no to God and he's going to break you even more severely than he already has. I said, the choice is yours, man. And I prayed with him and we got off the phone. The next day, I was pulling into the church parking lot and my brother calls me early that morning. And he's crying on the other end. And he said, Jared, I've, I've got to give my life to Jesus. I've got to get this right. And I talked with him right there. And a few months later, I was able to drive down to New Orleans, Louisiana, in a church that we helped plant, that we supported. And I preached that day. My whole family was there. It's the top five highlight of my life. I got, after that service, got to baptize my brother in the back of a pickup truck. I brought it here for you to see it. Watch the screen. Vintage Church, I love you so much. My family loves you. And uh, I'm here today to baptize my big brother. How cool is that? I'm telling you, before my brother, I, I'd call my brother, he wouldn't answer the phone. 
uh, now we talk all the time, God's totally changed his life. And uh, this is what happens when one sinner comes to repentance. Man, there was rejoicing and celebration. I'm just here to tell you today that our always God is still in the pursuing business. And who is that one person, two, per, two people, three people that God has put in your life that he wants to use you, sent, to help pursue as well? Um, it's the call of God on our life. And uh, I pray that he would use you to experience what it is uh, to help him pursue and bring one person to know Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I just want to give you an opportunity, even right now, in the stillness of this room. Man, there may be, I just want you to pray for that person. God put them on your mind and heart for a reason. And so right now, and again, it may be a family member like it was for me. And you say, Jared, I've been praying for you. Don't you give up. 17 years I prayed for my brother. 17 years. Don't you give up. Because the hound of heaven, he ain't giving up. Who is it? Maybe it's that person at work. You say, Jared, there's no way. There's no way that person is going to come to know Christ. Are you kidding me? That's the kind of candidate that God is searching after. He pursues the lost. Pray for them right now. Lift their name to the Lord. Just in your mind and your heart. And then open yourself up and just say, God, I will help you in the pursuing business however you see fit. And so what is it? Is it sharing your story? Is it serving them? Is it just continuing to pray that God would soften their heart? I have no idea. But I'm telling you, God wants to pursue the lost. He wants to use you to do it. If you're here today and you're far from God, you're lost, you're lost, you're the one that's wasting away and you were brought today by a friend or maybe you're new to the area and just looking for a church, looking for some community or maybe like my brother, man, life's been turned upside down for you and you're going through a trial or a trouble and you know you're, you've got to have help. You're in this alone and you need Jesus today. Why don't you talk, don't, don't leave here without talking to someone about what it means to be found by Christ. Because in the brokenness of life, you can't do it by yourself. You need, you need God in you, and you need believers around you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message from your word, Lord. And I pray for all of these people that you've put on our mind and heart, God, that are lost and in need of you. Help us. Help us, Lord to join you in your pursuit of them. Soften their heart. Remove scales from their eyes. Only you can save them, God. Only you can save them. But help us to be witnesses, salt and light, in an effective way. Burden our hearts for those around us, Lord, that don't know you. And God, most of all, I thank you for finding us because all of us at one time were lost and far away. And Jesus, you drew us near. You found us. And we just say thank you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.